Thank you. You know, this, this time together wouldn't be near as good without these guys as with them. So let's tell them how much we appreciate it. Thank you all. Thank you. We have two types of men in the room, at least, but specifically two types. When you go on a journey, let's say with your family, and you have to travel from point A to point B, there are those men that are all about the destination. <laughs> let's get there. Use the bathroom before we leave, because I sure ain't going to stop. You know what I'm saying? How much further? Would you, just, you know, whatever. Then there's the people, there are guys that are like, man, they really enjoy the journey, and they want to stop at every fun place, and let's get ice cream, and they're not worried about, you know, they know they're going to get there. Now, you're one of those two types, right? I'm not going to ask you which one you're in. But it's funny because this morning at breakfast, I had quite a number of guys uh, that either came up or I was coming to your table to visit with you. And, and you said, man, I, I really enjoyed that last night about Nimrod. I am fully aware there are some of you that went, what the heck was that all about? <laughs> that had nothing to do with gospel. All right. We're going to get to the destination, okay? Just be patient. I know that's very difficult to do, but uh, there is a method to the madness, I promise you. And, uh, and so we're going to continue to progress on our journey. We're going to make some stops along the way, but we are going to get to the destination. It is called Gospel, Euangelion, the good news, and it's amazing. I know where we're going. Make the journey with me, okay? All right, so we're ready to uh, dive back in. I need the tallest man in the room to come up and join me on stage right here for a second. Yeah, you're pretty tall. Oh, I think there's somebody else. No, go ahead. You guys, come on. Come on. Yeah, you got it. Come on. Anybody else? You're pretty tall right there. We got some tall dudes, man. Come on down. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, we'll see about that. Oh, we got three guys. Yeah, just move over and make room. Good gracious. Wow. All right, y'all kind of just line up, move over a little bit, make some room. There you go. Now line up right there. So, okay, we're going to do orange shirt, black shirt, Smokey the Bear. Uh, y'all tell me which one you think is tallest. Is it orange shirt? Clap. Is it black shirt? Is it Smokey the Bear? Okay, you two guys can have a seat. Thank you, though. Okay, so how tall are you? Six, seven. Six, seven. Okay. That's amazing. You stand right here. Here's why that's amazing. Okay. Did you know that the average height for a man in the United States is five, nine? So the average basketball player in the NBA is, say it with me, six, seven. Average. That's pretty amazing considering there are some smaller guards, right? Six, seven. You're looking at the average NBA star, play, just player right now. Uh, did you know that Andre the Giant was seven feet four inches, and he weighed 520 pounds? Okay? But now let me tell you about a couple other guys. You think you're tall? No. Yeah, you do. Um, every time you buy pants, I guarantee you, you, you know you're tall. There's a guy named John Bud Rogan. He lived from 1867 to 1905 in a place called Gallatin, Tennessee. That is six miles from my house, okay? He is the second tallest person on record in the world to have ever lived. He was eight feet, nine inches tall. And by that, I mean on record that you have pictures of him and it's verified, okay? But, and by the way, when he passed away, his mother buried him under the front porch. And as far as I know, his bones are still there because they couldn't have a coffin that would fit him. Now, the tallest man ever on record was actually Robert Wadlow. He lived in Illinois from 1918 to 1940. He was 8 feet 11. So when you raise your hand all the way up, how, let's say you're 6'7", so we're going to add another 12 inches. That's 7'7". Seven, seven. He can't even reach 
to the top of that man's head, okay? That's how tall he would be. Can you imagine? There's not a door anywhere around, basically, that he could walk in without bumping his head, hitting him, knocking his forehead. I bet he hit a bunch of them, right? So we're going to talk about tall people for a little while. What's your name? Paul. Paul, thanks, man. Appreciate you. Uh, let me use you as an illustration. So last night we looked at a man named... Nimrod. All right, you got it. He's this historical figure. He's mentioned in the Bible. He was a giant. He was a warrior king. He was a skilled bow hunter, and he was one who set himself against God. Now, this brings us to the next question in our journey. Are there other giants mentioned in the Bible? Are there giants mentioned in extra-biblical references? How big were these giants, and where did they come from? So let's start with the first question. Are there giants in the Bible? The first mention of a giant is recorded in Genesis 10. That's our Nimrod passage from last night. So we're going to skip that one and we'll come back to it later. Here's the next one. Genesis 14, verses 5 through 7. In the 14th year, Kedar Leomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the, say it with me, Rephaim. You might underline that in your Bible. And they defeated them in Ashtaroth, Carnaim. The, here's the next one, Zuzim, underline that one, in Ham. The Emum, underline that one, in Sheba, Kiriathium, and the Horites in the mountains of Seir as far as El Paran by the wilderness. Then they came back to invade in Meshphat, that is Kadesh, and they defeated the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the, what's the next one? Amorites, underline that one, who lived in Hazazon Tamar. We have four major races of giants mentioned in that one passage of Scripture. So let's take a look at each one of these. First of all, the Raphim. This is the plural form of the singular word Rapha in the Hebrew. It's used in the singular form in 2 Samuel chapter 21, 16 through 20. It's a reference to the descendants of Goliath, and we're going to talk about those uh, tomorrow morning. Then we have, it says that we have Ishbi Manab, one of the descendants of the giant whose bronze spear weighed this. So I'm not going to finish reading that passage because we will come back and read it tomorrow, but it's going to talk about four giants, one of which had six fingers on one hand, and six, or both hands, and six fingers, six toes <laughs> on his feet. So he had overall 24 fingers and toes. Uh, we're going to talk about are these being, are they the brothers of Goliath or are they something else? Because everybody always says they're the brothers of Goliath. How many of you always thought they were the brothers of Goliath? Anybody? All right. Well, we're going to come back around and we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Now, that's the singular form of uh, Rapha. But let me show you the plural form. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3, 11 through 13. Only King Og of Bashan was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. There's our word. His bed was made of iron. Isn't, in, isn't it in Rabbah of the Ammonites? In other words, they still had his bed. It was a relic. People could go and see it in the museum. It was right there. It is 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide by standard measurement. At that time, we took possession of this land, and I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites the area extending from Aror by the Arnon Valley and half the hill country of Gilead along with its cities. I gave the, to half the tribe of Manasseh, the rest of Gilead, and all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og. Remember that name. The entire region of Argob, the whole territory of Bashan, used to be called the land of these, say it with me, Rephium. They were the giants. And King Og was their king, and he had the massive bed. All right? So it appears that the word 
Rephim was understood to be a group of people, a race of giants that lived in the land of Canaan. I might suggest to you that uh, King Og was not 13 and a half feet tall. You know why? Nobody wants a bed that comes right at the end of your head and right at the end of your feet. He was probably around 12 feet tall. Now, that's a whole lot bigger than our gentleman on the stage and those two other men in history by several feet. That's a big dude. And to have a big bed, and by the, the square cube law, it being six feet wide would be because he is not just tall, he would be also proportionately extremely wide and big. That's why it's made of iron instead of how most beds were made back then that would break under his weight, which would probably come in at about 1,000 pounds. <laughs> That's a big dude, isn't it? Now let's talk about the Zuzum. Another name for Zuzum is Zamzumin. Deuteronomy 2, 20 through 21 mentions them. Here's what it says. This too, the land of Ammon, used to be regarded as the land of the Rephaim. The Rephaim lived there previously, though the Ammonites called them Zamzumin. A great and numerous people, tall as the Anakim. That's not from Star Wars, by the way. The Lord destroyed the Rephaim at the advance of the Ammonites so that they drove them out and settled in their place. So the name Zamzumin or Zuzum is used interchangeably with Rephaim. Here we have a reference to a group of giants that lived in the land of Ammon or Ammon. And now where did they come from? Genesis chapter 19, 30 through 38 gives us the details. Do you remember Lot? Lot departed from Zoar and lived in the mountains along with his two daughters because he was afraid to live in Zoar. Instead, he and his two daughters lived in a cave. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's no man in the land to sleep with us, as is the custom of all the land. Come, let's get our father to drink wine so that we can sleep with him and preserve our father's line. I know that sounds really kinky and weird, and it is, but you got to understand back then, there preserving of the lineage of the name is of utmost importance that they would be willing to sacrifice actually sleeping with their father would be the way the girls would see it so they could preserve the family lineage again it's super weird to us right but that's what they were doing i'm not saying it was right so they got their father to drink wine that night. The firstborn came and slept with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, look, I slept with my father last night. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight so you can go and sleep with him and we can preserve our father's line. Well, that night, they again got their father to drink wine and the younger women, uh, the younger women went and slept with him and he did not know when she lay down or when he got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The firstborn gave birth to a son and named him Moab. You ever heard of the Moabites? That's where they came from. He's the father of the Moabites of today. The younger also gave birth to a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He's the father of the Ammonites of today. Now, according to Genesis 14.5, the Zuzum occupied the land of Ham, and it is possible this is a reference to Noah's son, Ham, since they descended from him. But it is much more likely that it's a reference to the Hamathites who were descendants of Ham's son, Canaan. So we have this strange story involved with the Zuzum. Now let's go to the Emum, the third group mentioned in our text. The word Emum is most likely translated terrors in Hebrew. Deuteronomy 2, 10 through 11 uses this word in reference to giants. It says, the Emum, a great and numerous people as tall as the Anakim, had previously lived there. They were also regarded as Rephium, like the Anakim, though the Moabites called them what? Emum. 
The name Emom, just like Zanzuman or Zuzum, is used interchangeably with the name Rephim. Moses gives a reference to them in Genesis 19.37. He says, The firstborn of Lot gave birth to a son and named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites of today. Moses is saying that the Emom used to live in the territory that God gave to the descendants of Lot's son Moab. So we're having to connect dots here. These ended up being races of giants. Amorites, they're mentioned in our text. Who are the Amorites? They're descendants of Noah's grandson, Canaan, according to Genesis 10. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, as well as the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Girgashites. So there we have their lineage. Let's go back to Josephus for a second, that Jewish historian of the first century. He gives the name of their ancestor as Amorius, but the Bible does not mention Amorius. The Amorites are mentioned more than 80 times in Jewish scripture. For example, Genesis 14, 13, they appear to be allies with Abraham. One of the survivors came and told Abraham the Hebrew, who lived near the oaks belonging to Mamre the Amorite. How many of you know the story when Abraham went to, to this dude, uh, Mamre, and he ends up you know, bartering for where his family can be buried and all that? That was a giant. He's talking to a giant, all right? Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eschol and the brother of Aner, they were bound by a treaty with Abram. Abram was a smart leader. You know, he had a pretty good little uh, uh, special forces army of about 300 warriors in his camp. And, and he was pretty tough, and he was smart enough to know that I need to make a treaty with some of these giants. And he did. And these are those giants that he made the treaty with. God describes the Amorites as very tall and strong and actually uses metaphoric language to paint his picture. When the 12 spies are sent into the land of Canaan to spy out the land, uh, they're sent by Moses. Uh, the Amorites were one of the groups of people that they ran into. Numbers 13, 29 gives some details of their report. Here's what they said when they came back and they reported. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites and the Jebusites and the... Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. And then they go on to report to Moses, recorded in Numbers 13, 32. So they, 10 of the 12 spies, by the way, they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they scouted. Here's what they said. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. Now, two of the spies didn't say that. They were Joshua and Caleb. And they did not disagree with the report about the size of the people. But they did disagree that those people could not be conquered. And so they gave a positive report. And it's recorded in Numbers 14, 6 through 9. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And look at this next line. Don't be afraid of the people in the land, for we will devour them. They, re they completely 180'd that report from the other 10 spies. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Repetition. Anytime you have repetition in Scripture, it's, for, it's a double emphasis. It's like an emphatic with an exclamation mark. When Jesus looks over Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, or Martha, Martha, or on the cross, what does he say twice? Anybody know? My God, my God, why do you forsake me? 
That's for emphasis, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, underlined, highlighted, shouted. And we have this twice in our text from Joshua and Caleb. Don't be afraid of these giants. That's tonight. Now that we've explored the four words listed in Genesis 14, 7, the Rephim, the Zuzim, the Emim, the Amorites, can we find any other references in the Bible to giants that are not mentioned in that text? Yeah, the answer is yes. What about the Nephilim? You ever heard of the Nephilim? The word Nephilim means giants, literally. The first use of the word in the Bible brings us back to Genesis 6, 4. It's just prior to the flood event. Here's what it says. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward, which means pre-flood, post-flood. When the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. It's one of the toughest verses in Scripture to interpret. And there are lots of theories floating around as to who these guys were. The Nephilim are described in Hebrew as Geborim, which means mighty men. The Nephilim are mentioned again when the spies returned from their scouting mission in the land of Canaan, and they reported, but we saw them. You know, we saw these people. We can't attack them. They're stronger than we are. And they gave that negative report. In verse 33, it says, we even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak coming from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like, what, they, what was their metaphor? Grasshoppers. We seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. They were giants. So like the word Rephim, the word Nephilim seems to be a general reference to a race of giant people. Now there's yet another word in Hebrew Scripture, Anakim. We keep running across this word, and they were well known during the time of the exodus of the Israelites as a group of giants living in Canaan, and they were part of the Nephilim. A specific reference to them is found in that report of the spies. Once again, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of whom? Anak. Anak was a giant. The Anakim came from him. We seem like grasshoppers. If Nephilim refers to a particular giant tribe, then the Anakim were part of that tribe of giants. So both the Emim, the Zamzumim, or the Zuzim, were compared to the Anakim in Deuteronomy 2, 10, and also verse 21. The Emim, a great and numerous people as tall as the Anakim, had previously lived there. A great and numerous people tall as the Anakim. The Lord destroyed the Rephim at the events of the Ammonites, so they drove them out and settled in their place. The other reference is Deuteronomy 9.2. The people are strong and tall, the descendants of Anakim. You know about them and you've heard it said about them, who can stand up to the sons of Anak? See, the legends around the campfires are spreading about these giants in the land of Canaan. According to Joshua 15, 13, Anak was the son of Arba. We don't really know much about Arba since his ancestral line is not provided, and that's kind of unusual. What we do know is that a very important city is named after him. It's called Kiriath Arba. It's also known as, you ready? Hebron. Hebron. You know that one, don't you? That's where Abraham lived. That's where Isaac settled. That's where Jacob settled. It's where all the patriarchs are buried. And to this day, the tombs of the patriarchs are still there. I want to go there. And the tour company that we use to prep our tours, our next one is next February, 
uh, I called the other day and said, hey, is there any possible way we can go down to Hebron? They said, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the, the tombs of the patriarchs are divided right down the middle, and you got the, the Palestinians on one side and the Israelites on the other, and they don't really get along very well. It's not the safest place to go. So I'm not going to take my group. I'm just going to sneak out one night and go down there by myself. Now, I want to see it. Tombs of the patriarch. Hebron, that's the city. It's kind of down below. I think it's like southwest of Bethlehem, uh, several miles. But that's where Hebron was at, and guess what? It's known as the city of the patriarchs. Joshua said in Joshua 14, 15, Hebron's name used to be Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest among the Anakim, the giants. After this, the land had rest from war. Joshua 15, 13, Joshua 21, 11, tell us that Arba was the father of Anak. Yet another name for Kiriath Arba, or Hebron, was Mamre. Who's Mamre? A giant that Abraham had a, a treaty with. Genesis 35, 27, Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. So guess what? Uh, Hebron is actually called not only the city of the patriarchs, but the city of giants. Genesis 14, 13 says a lot about Abraham settling there. Are there any other giants mentioned in the Old Testament? Oh, come on. Who's the most famous one? Yeah, Goliath and his relatives. But we're not going to talk about them today. We're going to talk about them tomorrow morning. Now, we've answered the question, are there giants mentioned in the Bible? What's the answer? Yes, all over the Bible. So let's turn our attention to the next question. Are these giants mentioned in extra-biblical literature? Can we find evidence to support what the Bible says? That's important to do. It's always a great thing when an archaeological find or literature outside of the Bible supports what the Bible says. Would you agree to that? All right. Nearly every place around the world has legends of giants dwelling in the land. There are cave paintings, engravings, artist renderings throughout the centuries, throughout the millenniums, and even some writings that refer to giants. One of the important ones is the Book of Giants. This is a 2nd century B.C. Jewish apocalyptic book known as Augeus the Giant, or in other words, the Book of Giants. It expands upon the Genesis narrative of the Hebrew Bible. It depicts the adventures of a giant named Augeus who fought against a great dragon. Guess where Augeus got his name? From the biblical character, the king of Bashan, what was his name? Og. Okay? Augeus is either identical with King Og, mentioned in the Bible, or he was Og's father. I think it's funny because for all these years, whenever I'll kill a deer or whatever, I'll text my wife and say, Og, bring home meat. And I always thought of Og as a caveman. Og was a great king who was a giant. <laughs> but that was, that's my little way of letting her know, hey, I was successful today. We're going to have something to eat. So among the fragments discovered in 1947 when that little shepherd boy was throwing rocks up in the caves behind Qumran and the hair just, and they climbed up there and found all these scrolls and it became one of the greatest archaeological discoveries ever. ever. It's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, guess what they found? They found 10 different manuscripts from the Book of Giants. And they talk about Og, Augeus. And they, uh, there's a lot of speculation in the scholarly world that these Writings, the origin, in other words, of the book of Giants can be predating Moses and the Pentateuch. And it was brought all the way from Babylon 
into Israelite territory. What about in the, the book of Enoch? That's another one. It's apocryphal work, work as well. First Enoch describes great giants whose height was 300 cubits. A cubit is 18 inches. So this would mean that the giant is 450 feet tall. So if you look at it in this way, that giant would be the same size as the Hard Rock Hotel down in South Miami, Florida. <laughs> Sometimes legends grow bigger than they really are, don't they? All right. What about in Greek and Roman mythology? Any giants there? Well, you've got stories that mention the Titans. You've got the Cyclops and several other giants. What about the Norwegians? In Norse mythology, it contains the story of the frost giants of Jotunheim. What about on African and the Asian uh, continents? There are, Afri I mean, there are legends of giants on both of those continents. Let's move to Native Americans. Here on our continent, the North American Indians, the natives, had stories of giants. One of the most fascinating stories was recorded by Buffalo Bill Cody. And he, had, uh, he wrote an autobiography. And he reports a legend recounted to him by members of the Sioux tribe. And I quote, It was taught by the wise men of this tribe that the earth was originally peopled by giants who were fully three times the size of modern men. They were so swift and powerful that they could run alongside a buffalo, take the animal under one arm, tear off a leg, and eat it as they ran. <laughs> So vainglorious were they because of their own size and strength that they denied the existence of a creator. When it thundered, they laughed. When it lightning, they proclaimed their superiority to the lightning. And this displeased the great spirit. And to rebuke their arrogance, he sent a great rain on the earth. The valleys filled with water. And the giants retreated to the hills, and the water crept up the hills, and the giants sought safety on the highest mountains. Still the rain continued, the waters rose, and the giants, having no other refuge, were drowned. Now, why aren't some of you just sitting there with your jaws dropped open? See, I would say that is one of the greatest evidences of the worldwide flood, that there is a creator and guess what? There were giants. Legends do grow over time, but they usually do have some truth in their foundations. An exaggeration can be layered onto the legend with the passing of time, but we can't discount the legends because of the exaggeration. So our detective work thus far leads us to believe there was a race of giants that did exist early on in the days of humanity, and that it would most likely be worldwide. So this brings us to the next question. How big were they? Let's consider our current understanding of human growth. It's defined by our DNA with some environmental factors as well. Most human males are under six feet tall. Now, I have a friend named Pastor Heath Rainwater. He's up in Enumclaw, Washington. I was just with him at an event that I did up there. And he is six foot eight. He's a pretty big guy. He seems really large to me and uh, also to other people that look at him. But I want you to place him on the bed of King Og of Bashan. He would be very small. He would only be half the size of the, king, uh, of the bed of King Og of Bashan. 
If you double the height and the width and the breadth of pasture heath, this would, multi heath, this would multiply the 250-pound weight of heath, uh, and he would be uh, over 1,000 pounds, and possibly by the square cube law might even be as much as 2,000 pounds. If you have such a race of men living in a region, would you want to go up against them in a football game? Would you want to play basketball against them? Would you want to wrestle them? Would you like to go to war against them? Especially if it was hand-to-hand -hand battle like they had back then. You can understand why the Israelite spies saw themselves as, what's the metaphor? Grasshoppers. In the eyes of the, of the giants and in their eyes as giants. Can you picture why God would describe them as tall cedars, sturdy as oaks? That was God's words. Consider the evidence of other creature fossils uh, that we have. So as you go back and look in the evidence of the fossil record, we find many different creatures from the old days that are twice or three times their size now in modern time. In spite of several claims of discoveries that have turned out to be fake, we have no fossil evidence of giant human bones that have been found. Human fossils are quite rare altogether. However, it is very important to note that many giant versions of these other creatures exist. So logic might say that if these insects and these fish and these animals were as big as they were back then, it could have happened to humans as well. For example, the bird-eating spider, who's up to 12 inch in his leg span, or the moth, the atlas moth with a wingspan of 11 inches. We have fossil records of these or centipedes that were 13 inches long, or snails that grew up to 15 and a half inches long. You have frogs that were as tall as 16 inches high. Dragonflies with a wingspan of two and a half feet. Rats, known as Josephara targarasia or something like that, that were 750 pounds estimated. That's terrible. Beavers, seven and a half feet long. Boy, they could do some damage, couldn't they? Scorpions. The sea scorpion was estimated to be eight feet long. We have crabs that had 12 feet long legs. Armadillos, 13 feet long in the fossil record. Turtles, up to 16 feet long. Fish, 19 feet long. Sloths that stood up to 20 feet tall. Two basketball goals. Sea cows that were 25 feet or more in length. Snakes, 42 feet long in the fossil record. Crustaceans, 10 times larger than anything we've discovered in modern times. Squid, 50 feet or more in length. The octopus with 100-foot-long tentacles. Now, in my own personal collection, I have some things in my little museum, and one of the things that I have personally seen with my own eyes is a giant worm. Do we have that footage? Check this out.
followed by a good old cup of duck to wash it down. I wasn't really in any hurry to get back to the village. So, that was in the Amazon jungle with the Stone Age Indian tribe that killed the, the, the missionaries in the movie Into the Spirit, if you want to watch that. It's pretty fascinating. That worm could stretch out to 11 feet long. Well, that was a small one compared to the ones in the fossil records. You have crocodiles that reached 40 feet long, sharks that were 65 feet long. Check this. This is in Carrot River, and that is up in Saskatchewan, Canada, and they found a fossil record of a 22-foot-long crocodile in Canada. All right? That's in Saskatchewan, Canada. You have the bison antiqua uh, from, uh, if you want to watch a really fascinating episode, check this out. Okay, so again, archaeological discoveries, verifying these giant fossil, these animals that lived uh, bigger than what we have current times. Woolly mammoth the same way. I've got a piece of, uh, of tusk, of petrified ivory tusk uh, in my little museum back in, in Nashville. So I think it's scientifically rational to conclude that if animals and insects have been discovered with body sizes much bigger than current, that the same possibility could be extended to human beings. Just a rational scientific conclusion. So there could have been giants uh, in the past among the human race as revealed in both the Bible and extra-biblical evidence. Now here's an interesting note from history. Let's go back to Josephus one more time. In a passage about the Israelites moving from Hebron, it mentions the Jews encountering the inhabitants of that land. And it said, he says this, they, they encountered the race of giants who had bodies so large and countenances so entirely different from other men that they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. The bones of these men 
are still shown to this very day. So during the first century, just a few years after the time of Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, evidently they did have on record for people to see some of these bones. But I guess over the centuries and the millenniums, they've gone away, rotted away, burned up in the fire, the destruction of Jerusalem, whatever. They're gone now. But I thought that was a really significant find uh, right there in literature. So this brings us to our next question. Where did these giants come from? It takes us back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful. And they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. So now you can see the connect the dot that leads us to believe that Nimrod was one of the ancient Nephilim race of giants. Genesis 10, 8 through 10, Cush fathered Nimrod, who began to be what? powerful in the land. He was a powerful hunter in the defiance of the Lord. And that is why it is said, this legendary saying about him, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in defiance of the Lord. It appears that fallen angels had intercourse with women and created a race of giants. I said it appears that way. We will turn our attention to that in tonight's session. We're going to see what we can find out, and then we're also going to see what happened to this race of giants that lived in the land of Israel. And I'm just going to tell you, there's an absolutely amazing thing that takes place, and it happens with an 85-year-old man. Is anybody in here as old as 85? Anybody? <laughs> you feel like it. An 85-year-old man, but you'll have to come back tonight to find out how he connects with these giants that were covering the land. You guys go have a wonderful day. Thanks for taking time to be here this morning. And uh, I, I think, Jason, are you coming up to say a word before I step down? Keep talking? Okay. Um, I will be in the back back here. I have brought a few books with me. I think I have about 10 of each of my books there are two, two new products since I was here last time. I was supposed to be here during the year of COVID, and because I, we, we can't, they canceled everything, I couldn't come. Uh, I got COVID and, and had it 30 days, and during that period of time, uh, God uh, blessed me, I think, with um, one of my favorite studies I've ever done, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 has six verses. There are two lines per verse. So I spent about two months, maybe three months, researching every word of every line and came out with a 12-lesson series called the 23rd, uh, the 23rd Psalm in Troubled Times. My wife painted the cover. It's got the shepherd with a mask on and a little sheep with the mask on and a tornado had just hit Nashville and there's fire going everywhere because that's when all the cities were burning. You know what I'm saying? And so all of that is addressed in this series. Uh, and I have that available on 
DVD. Does anybody still have a DVD player? Anybody at all? Okay. Well, you can also get it online on the website. So I have uh, pieces of paper back there. I'd like for uh, each of you to take one of those pieces of paper that advertises our website, how you can get on it. We put all of our Bible studies on there. We've got a whole bunch we're about to pour onto it. And then we have a lot of our television shows, just like Fossil Man, that are on there. If, uh, if you uh, find it to be a blessing, we have study guides that go with all of these so you can use them in small group sessions. You good? Is that enough? Yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks, Jimmy. Hey, uh, so it is.